Hello. Welcome back to Conversations with Stephen Kamgesser. Practicing hospitality to strangers and refugees is fraught with difficulty. It is not for the faint of heart. And as the number of the forcibly displaced people the world over surpasses a 100 million mark, it is becoming increasingly clear that troubles are the trials of friendship. For when a man is afflicted, he will see who are his friends and who are but pretenders. A brother is born for adversity. Which is why it is fitting for us in this age of geopolitical upheaval and climate change to examine ourselves how we may most effectually be a friend to a stranger and a refugee. No one is better qualified to assist our self-examination than Lord Alf Dubs, who was once both a stranger and a refugee in England. Lord Dubs' life commenced on the 5th of December 1932 in Prague in what was then Czechoslovakia, born to a secular Jewish father who was involved in the cotton export business and his mother, a gentle local girl, a qualified dietitian. Alfred was one of the 669 Czech resident, mainly Jewish children, who were saved by a British stockbroker, Nicholas Winton, from the Nazis on the kinder transport between March and September 1939 a graduate of the London School of Economic and Political Science, Lord Dubs is driven by a personal notion that, and I quote, if evil men could do such terrible things, they could be countered by others doing something good, end of quotation, which was underpinned by a desire to help strangers and refugees. Accordingly, Alf has enjoyed a long career in public life, achieving that particular goal. He has been a local councillor, an MP, chair of the Fabian Society, chair of Liberty, a trustee of Action Aid, director of Refugee Council, and a trustee of the Immigration Advisory Service. Appointed a Labour working peer in 1994, Lord Dubs readily acknowledges that Britain has given him enormous opportunities, that he has been incredibly lucky and benefited from opportunities that he had not expected as a refugee child. It is in this respect, as a former stranger and refugee, that Lord Dubs has made perhaps the most significant contribution to the UK, namely as the official spokesman for strangers and refugees. An instance is worth mentioning here. In 2016, Lord Dubs moved an amendment that the UK should take in unaccompanied child refugees from Europe, especially Calais and the Greek islands. 
The Tory government fought hard against this, but eventually gave way because of the weight of public opinion, though they then arbitrarily put a cap on the numbers. Lord Dobbs is currently a trustee of the Open University and sits on the advisory board of the John Smith Memorial Trust, which was formed in 1996 to promote the ideas the ideals of democracy, social justice, and good governance. In this episode, we consider how, in the most practical ways, we may practice hospitality to strangers and refugees in our midst. Lord Dabs, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Lord Dabs, you are on the record to have said, and I quote, I am what circumstances have made me, end of quotations. This was in reference to your childhood in Prague, the former Czechoslovakia, and your bewildering experience on the kinder transport that led you to Britain as a refugee. Please tell us what you actually meant by that statement and how did the experience on the kinder transport shape the man you subsequently became? Well, thank you, thank you for letting me join you, and thank you, thank you for your uh, description of my background. You've done a lot of homework. Of course, coming to Britain on a kinder transport at the age of six represented an enormous upheaval in my life, and it must have had some influence on me uh, late, later on. Not that I can identify exactly what the inference was, but I think it left me committed to supporting minorities, supporting refugees, and made me feel that if I was ever in a position to help, uh, I, I, I should do that. So I suppose the upheaval meant that I was already thinking about the issues at a younger age than I would otherwise have done, in that I was, when I arrived in England, I was thinking about my background, I was thinking about what had happened, why it had happened, and to that extent, I think uh, I, I think it was it was an important it was an important experience. But look, I was luckier than most. Uh, some people didn't survive the Holocaust. Uh, some lost all their parents. Uh, some didn't join their families till later. I was pretty lucky, uh, as it all turned out. Uh, so to that extent, it was it was easier than for some. And when I meet young refugees today, some of them have had the most nightmare journeys to get to safety from, from the war zones and, and the persecution in the countries that, that, uh, that, that they've fled from. So uh, to, to that extent, uh, the journey was a straightforward one. Uh, Prague Station, um, um, long, long journey. I was six years old. I was one of the youngest. Uh, and and um, uh, hard wooden seats, of course, because but as a six-year-old, you don't mind hard wooden seats. I got to the Dutch border and the older ones cheered uh, and then it was dark and then the uh, Hook of Holland and then to Harwich and then to London. So that, that was the journey and um, yes, it must have influenced me in, in my thinking subsequently. Ever since I became a stranger and a refugee in the late 1980s, I have been fascinated with everything to do with the refugees. And in researching this podcast, I came across a report on the Avian Conference, which was held in France between 1933 and 1941. This caught my eye, and I quote, 
During the nine-day meeting, delegate after delegate rose to express sympathy for the refugees. But most countries, including the United States and Britain, offered excuses for not letting in more refugees, end of quotation. Lord Dobbs, in a language an ordinary man in the street would understand, please define a stranger stroke refugee for us. And what did it mean for you to be both a stranger and a refugee in England as a child? Well, I suppose it's quite difficult. I suppose um, a stranger a refugee would be somebody who has arrived from another country, who may not speak the language of the country where he or she has arrived, um, who will be unfamiliar with the background, the, the culture, the, the way things happen. Uh, and, and, and the job of a stranger is to learn. I think if one is a stranger, one shouldn't act as a stranger all the time. Uh, what one's, one's job is, or responsibility is, to become part of the country in which, which one has settled and which has given one safety. So I think one of the challenges for us all is that when refugees come, we have to we have to help them both return, retain their cultural values, but also be become uh, active members of local communities of the country to, in which they've arrived. So the important thing is to give them a chance to do that. Uh, the key thing is language. If people don't speak the language of the country they've gone, they've gone to, then, then they can't progress. But beyond language, I think it's important that they can familiarize themselves either with education or with the work, with, with getting jobs, <clears throat> so they can make an effective contribution. And I think it's up to the host communities to be positively welcoming, uh, to reach out to, to strangers, to make them feel comfortable uh, without giving up their own religion and culture and so on. Uh, they may have to make a few compromises to be in Britain. Uh, you know, we, we, don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't accept um, um, gender discrimination. We don't accept uh, uh, discrimination against gay people. Uh, and those are things that people do have to learn to accept. But beyond that, it is right that people can retain their own religion and so on, uh, but, be, but to be given every chance to become familiar with their new country. And that is a challenge for the host community, and it's one, it's hard, it doesn't always work well, but we have to do it. Speaking of children as strangers and refugees, Mr. David Westlake, the CEO of International Justice Mission UK, published a letter in The Guardian on the 18th of July, 2022. This is what he said, and I quote, Sir Mo Farah's courageous decision to speak, up, to speak out about his childhood experience of trafficking must go beyond news headlines and statements of support and lead to action to protect trafficked children and prevent others suffering harm. It must encourage the government to listen to more trafficking survivors, including those who do not have public platforms as the UK reviews its modern slavery strategy, survivors' experiences will be key to creating effective solutions that protect victims' rights and create a safe environment to access help. Sadly, 
it is still rare for survivors' voices to be heard in debate around these issues. Farah's story is a reminder that if the UK is serious about eradicating trafficking, we need to listen to those with lived experience and not just listen, but act. End of quotations. Now, I grant you this podcast is not about trafficked children and modern slavery. But in the spirit of our theme, how would you make voices of survivors be heard? And how can we make Britain act favorably to address this very urgent question, that is, the question of strangers and refugees? It's difficult. Um, there's, there's no totally easy answer. But I think one of the things we try and do when we have meetings and so on is to ensure that the voice of refugees, the voice of people who have been trafficked, especially children, is heard and their experiences are known and understood. Because we don't want only people like me talking about what they think. That's, that's not good enough. Uh, what we have to do is to facilitate uh, people who've arrived as strangers, people who've been trafficked, people who've had terrible experiences. Uh, we have to give them a chance to express both what they've been through if they want to, they may not want to, but if they want to, to talk about what they've, what they've been through. And um, moreover, if they're critical of the way they've been received, then they should say so. And we should be mature enough to say, well, <clears throat> this, is, this has not worked well for you. Uh, it's wrong. We must change it. A lot of things are not working well for refugees in Britain at the moment uh, and in many European countries. So I'll be the first to be very critical. And indeed, I am continually critical. But... Uh, the voice of people who've come here is so important because they bring with them experience, the pain, the happiness, a whole range of human emotions and experiences. And of course, many of them have left family behind. They've seen their family perhaps killed, uh, murdered, perhaps uh, um, killed in conflict. Uh, they're fearful about the family members that have survived. So they're in a very unhappy situation uh, being here in relative safety. Uh, and and uh, we have to give them a chance to say what it is they'd like to happen and how they'd like to make it happen. So our job is to give them a voice. Um, we should not make them, make them feel that they're voiceless. Uh, we should give them a voice and we should listen to their voices. Allow me to play the devil's advocate, if I may. Yes. <laughs> it is self-evident that the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland is presently passing through a metaphorical valley of death, a leadership vacuum at the heart of government, a major cost of living crisis, a broken economy, a crashing and chaotic Brexit aftermath, a devastating Russo-Ukrainian war on European soil since 1945, and the climate emergency, to mention but a few, and at a more local level in England, there is a severe competition for housing, an NHS that is on life support, a failing education system, a dysfunctional welfare system, polluted rivers and water, an energy crisis, and real food scarcity. Lord Dubs, is it really kind for a country that is 
on her knees, as it were, with a myriad of existential crises to take in more and more refugees. And most specifically, shouldn't the British government prioritise meeting the needs of local English people before extending a helping hand to strangers and refugees? Well, you've certainly described the, the very difficult situation we're in. Yes, uh, ever, ever since, um, well, ever since the Conservatives got into office, we've had one disaster after another. I think Brexit, leaving the European Union, was a very bad move indeed. I worked very hard campaigning uh, for us to, to vote to remain in the EU, and where I, where I did work, it was a 70% vote in support of being members of the EU. But um, I, I think that was a very bad experience. And what it also did, I think it poisoned the atmosphere, because when the campaigning slogan for the Brexiteers was take back control, many people interpreted that as keep them out, keep people out. Uh, they, they didn't like, this wasn't refugees so much, it was, it was just the freedom of movement within the European Union, which I think was a positively good thing, but they, they didn't like that. And, and so it set up negative moods in the country uh, because the, the Brexit referendum and the outcome encouraged hostility to all strangers, whether they came from another EU country or whether they came from elsewhere. And if you add to that um, the economic difficulties caused by Brexit, if you add to that the, 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 COVID, the COVID crisis, which was not of the government's making, but they could have handled it better. Um, and then we've got bad economic policies uh, and, and, and general hostility. And when the Home Secretary of Britain talked about people coming by boat from Calais to, to, to the UK, people wanting, fleeing for safety, when she called them invaders, that was such hostility because invaders are normally the enemy of a country. And to call people fleeing for safety invaders actually stigmatized them. And was it probably going to have the effect of encouraging local communities not to be helpful and warm and supportive? So there's a conflict in Britain for public opinion. Uh, many of us are arguing public opinion should be supportive of refugees because we have a good tradition of providing people with safety. Uh, and um, uh, and then on the other side, there is a hostility generated by the government. And it's much more difficult being supportive locally if the government sends, sends, hostile, um, sends hostile messages. But even if we're in economic difficulties, we're still a very rich country, uh, and it, it should be no excuse for failing to support people who've come to this country for safety. We can't take everybody. Uh, millions, millions, millions Syrians reach Germany, for example. We can't take everybody here, but we can certainly... To, uh, do better than we're doing at the moment, particularly when people have family connections with Britain, particularly when when, when people have been educated here or, or good uh, English language, good English language, and so on. Uh, we should we, we should facilitate their safe passage to this country, uh, and and we are rich enough country to be able to afford to do that. But it requires political will and determination, and I think we lack that in the government. And of course. Um, People say, well, um, look, look at the mess in the health service and look at the difficulties with housing and public transport and so on. Well, the answer is, yes, there are difficulties, but they should not be an excuse for punishing strangers, refugees who come here for safety. Ms. Kabila Shamsi, commenting on the UK Rwanda asylum plan, 
in The Guardian on the 23rd June 2022 said the following, and I quote, In 2001, the Nobel laureate Abdulazak Ghanai published By the Sea, the story of Saleh Omar, a man who arrives at Gatwick Airport as a refugee. The border official speaks, he speaks to, says his parents also came to Britain as refugees. But my parents are European. They have a right. They are part of the family. He goes on to say, you don't belong here. And we don't want you here. We will make life hard on you. Make you suffer indignities. Perhaps even commit violence on you. End of quotations. Lord Dabbs, what are your views on the UK Rwanda asylum plan? And is it morally right to treat desperate refugees like commodities to be passed off to an impoverished African country? Uh, it is certainly not morally right to send people to Rwanda or anywhere else. I, th I think it is, a, it is a reprehensible policy. It has been one which has been condemned properly by the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. It's not been properly thought out. And all I can hope is that the legal challenges in the British courts will, will stop it from happening. But in principle, it, it is so wrong. And in practice, it should, ne it should, it should, never, it should never happen. Um, I, I, I don't think we should treat people with human beings with hostility. We should judge every person who claims asylum in Britain. <clears throat> we should give them a fair process for deciding what, whether their asylum claim stands up or not. And if it stands up, then we should welcome them and say, come to this, you're welcome, you can stay in this country and you've got refugee status. And that is the proper way it should be done. And if, we, if, we, if they're rejected, they should have a right of appeal. But these are proper legal processes to safeguard, safeguard their human rights. And to send them away to another country, um, we, we have no idea. No, nobody's explained if, if they get refugee status, they have to stay in Rwanda. If they don't get refugee status, what happens to them then? This is an ill-thought-out policy, and it, it is simply meant to intimidate people and threaten them. And I don't think we should behave like that. I think the idea of processing people offshore in that way is, is, is not right. Um, there's no guarantee that they will have legal support if their if, if, if the asylum claim is considered in Rwanda or, or elsewhere. Uh, I just think this is not the way to go. And as, as I said in a moment ago, it has been condemned by the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, and they surely are the guardians and custodians of the 1951 Geneva Convention. And they're the ones that should be listened to, not the British government saying they know better than the United Nations. The title of our podcast is Practice Hospitality to Strangers and Refugees. What is the biggest misconception people have about strangers and refugees? Oh, I don't know. I think, I, I, you know, when refugees come into local communities, when people get to know them, then they see them as human beings with their own needs, their own wish for happiness, their own, uh, their own fears, uh, and, and it leads to a better understanding. And I, I think that where there is a, an active local community, that supports refugees, then there is a sign that you're welcome. Uh, there is a sign that we're going to help you uh, and we're going to understand you and make sure your voice is heard, as I, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, and and we, we've got to behave in that way. 
But if they are treated as the enemy, as some British government ministers have suggested, if they're treated as the enemy, then the danger is that local communities will not respond as positively as they normally would. Uh, and and I, I think it's rather depressing we've, we've, we've got to this position. But I'm delighted that up and down the country there are local groups who are supportive of refugees and who and who enable other people to get to, to get to know refugees. Once refugees are in a local community, uh, their, their wish to get involved with things, their wish to contribute, is more powerful than the hostility against them generated by the government. So I, 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 I think it's very difficult. I think it's probably true in every European country. But um, we must not make, make, make them the enemy. We, we must make them as fellow human beings. And of course, I've been through a similar experience, so I understand that. And, and sometimes the refugees welcome meeting people like me who've been through an experience and who've had to learn English. English is my third language. Uh, and, and so it, it's, it's a matter of making sure that local communities respond in the most helpful and positive way and to overcome the hostility shown by the government. Till we have a government that will not be hostile to refugees, which I hope will happen before too long. <laughs> Finally, Lord Dubs, as a former stranger and a refugee yourself, how do you want to be remembered? Oh, oh dear, I haven't thought about that one at all. No, I, I, I would like to be remembered as somebody who has campaigned on behalf of vulnerable people, uh, refugees and others. Uh, uh, and who's who's worked worked with other people to try and achieve better ends for them. I I, I never thought about how I'd like to be remembered. Uh, I, I'd like any campaigning I've done together with other people to, to to be seen to have been effective and worthwhile. Lord Dabs, thank you very much indeed for setting aside time to be a guest on this podcast. In a strange world of strangers and refugees, you are a rock star, if I may say so. Thank you. Well, can I say thank you? And thank you for your question. They're quite, quite difficult questions you asked, but thank you very much indeed for your interest. What we've got to do is to take advantage of the helpful approach by people like you to spread the word that there is a positive a message to be given out about refugees. I think that's the important thing. And thank you very much for being so helpful. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by the Camgasa Challenge. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please follow and subscribe to us. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>